to possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory to As Jesus and his disciples were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is to be handed over to men. They will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were overwhelmed with grief. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax approached Peter and said, Why does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Yes, he said. Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? And he said, Yes. When Jesus came into the house... Before he had time to speak, Jesus asked him, What is your opinion, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take tolls or census tax? From their subjects or from foreigners? He said, From foreigners. Jesus said to him, Then the subjects are exempt. But that we may not offend them, go to the sea, drop in a hook, and take the first fish that comes up. Open its mouth, and you will find a coin there worth twice the temple tax. Give that to them for me and for you. The Gospel of the Lord. All right. Little Bible trivia, little saint stuff. So the temple tax that's being discussed here had to do with the fact that the regular coinage of the empire had Caesar's image on it, kind of like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln on ours, except that we never worshipped Washington or Lincoln as gods, but the Romans did worship the emperor as a living god. That's why later on, burning incense before the emperor was the way you sort of got yourself out the church. And so you couldn't have an image of a pagan god brought into the temple. That's what the money changers whose booths he flips over, are there for. So you have to change your currency. So going into the temple was like going into the Vatican or something. You had to change your money so that now you had clean money, good money, that then you could use to buy the animals that you were going to put in the sacrifice. It would be like if we had a booth set up at each door and you had to change your currency before you could put something in the collection plate because we wouldn't accept the dirty outside American money. What was goofy about this was The temple was in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the city in Israel, the country of the Jews. The Jews were defined by being the one people who lived on the one land, worshiping the one God and the one temple in the one city. And so so this the whole tax system was a kind of a front, right? And Jesus poses this question, which seems backwards. Who has to pay the tax? The citizens or the foreigners? And now we would say, well, We all pay taxes. That's part of being a citizen someplace, which is reasonable, right? But that isn't the kind of tax that's being imposed. It's the outsider tax. How can they be imposing an outsider tax on we who are citizens? We're not foreigners to God, are we? 
And so, Peter answers rightly, right, that the, the, the outsiders are the ones who have to pay the outsider tax. The, subject, the subjects should be exempt. And he rightly understands himself to be subject first to Jesus, so also to the Lord. So Jesus, you know, um, tells them that he's right, then the subjects are exempt, but that you may not offend them. This is a good insight. That you may not offend them, and then he gives them the instruction. If you go get this fish, there's going to be enough money to pay for you and for me. Now, this notion of offense takes us gently into the character of Dominic de Guzman. St. Dominic was most often referred to in his life as dulcis, sweet. He was a preacher whose style was apparently not so much fire and brimstone as just compelling. And his personality was so compelling that people couldn't help but be moved by what he said. Consider this for a moment. One of the greatest preachers in the history of the church, the founder of the Order of Preachers, leaves us no sermon. There's not a single homily of his left recorded to history. Francis of Assisi, his contemporary, who was functionally illiterate, left us more writing than any of that. But, but Dominic left us nothing really behind except maybe a few instructions at the front end of the rule of his order, their constitutions, and um, his deathbed confession. I'm always moved by his deathbed confession. He confessed to the brothers to having enjoyed the company of pretty younger women to tired, old, and angry ones. Present company excluded, of course. But the thing about Dominic and the great insight that he had was this. He knew that it was impossible to preach without ever offending anybody. But he chose to use that offense very carefully to sort of stagger and direct the times that he would have to be offensive. So the issue that he had was he was preaching to uh, an area of France that had more or less been taken over by Scientologists. Not exactly, but that would be our modern equivalent. There was essentially a cult that had taken over, and, and of course they presented themselves as Christians but had very strange ideas about the world. And, and very, very specifically, they would point to the Acts of the Apostles, and they would say, see, look in the Acts of the Apostles. The Apostles lived as poor men. The communities kept everything in common, and the Apostles went from house to house, working and begging their way. And you and your priests live in your houses that are provided by the church, and you wear fancy robes, and, and you've got all kinds of clothes, and, and you, you say you have no women, but like the housekeeper, we're not really sure about her, and, 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 and so we're not going to believe anything you say. And so Dominic, rather than fight them and say, well, no, no, please, let me explain to you why this is very carefully incorrect, even though he could have done that, instead said, okay. And so he moved out the house and lived on the street and had just the one habit that he slept in all the time and was a little bit gross and stinky and got just as down and dirty as their preachers did, and then they couldn't be offended by him anymore. And they had to listen to the strength of his arguments and, more importantly, withstand the witness of his life. Of course, it turned out in the end that these other preachers 
couldn't maintain what they proposed. Not only did Dominic do so, but he founded a whole community that still does so, 800 years later. I think that's worth reflecting on for us for two reasons. First, because some of us, myself included, you know, if we have any Irish or Italian in us at all, there's a, there's a naturally combative streak. We like being right. We like being in fights. We especially like winning fights. And, um, and that's not all bad. That can accomplish great things, but it can lead us into unnecessary fights. It can cause us to, to start arguments that don't win hearts or minds, just annoy the hell out of people. And that, it turns out, is not useful for instruction in the faith. It's better to do like Dominic and stagger your offense so that when you have to offend somebody, it's really worth it. And by the time you do so, there's enough trust. They know you really love them. And you wouldn't be fighting them so unless you had to. And second, because Dominic understood very clearly, more clearly than the preachers against whom he was arguing, that we are subjects in God's kingdom, not foreigners. This is our home. Famously, when he and Francis go to Rome to get their orders approved, uh, the Holy Father, Pope Innocent, has just renovated St. Peter's Basilica, and so he takes him in to show him what St. Peter's looks like. And he says, See, no longer can Peter say, Silver and gold I have not, because the church is covered in gold. And Dominic says, It's true, Holy Father. Neither can any longer say, Pick up your mat and walk. But Dominic could. Dominic did. So ultimately, should we.